0: Welcome to Protecting Your Assets, the show about protecting people, property, and most importantly, protecting your ass. I'm your host, Lucky Luciano, and I'd like you to join me for a fast-paced and often fiery discussion about security issues with my co-host, Brian, the Angry Man Claimer. Whether we're piercing the veil of security, talking your duty of care, or raving about the latest technology, we'll share our thoughts on the issues, the trends that are impacting security today and into the future. And now, let's talk about Protecting Your Assets. and welcome to Protecting Your Assets. I am a lucky new chancellor joining with me, Brian the Angry Man Clayman. as always. We're going to be talking public safety, something that should be a concern to everybody out there, and that we are all in it together. It only works well when everyone's at the table contributing, and we're going to talk about that with our special guest this week, Wendy Drummond. If you don't know her, you've probably seen her on TV, uh, being interviewed uh, in a number of critical incidents in the the, uh, downtown community. But Wendy is uh, currently with the Crime Prevention Auxiliary Program Coordinator. She is the Crime Prevention Auxiliary Program Coordinator with the Community Partnerships and Engagement Unit with the Toronto Police Service. She began her 28, uh, over 28 year career as actually a 911 call taker before becoming a police officer in the 14 and, 13, and 32 Division, uh, before moving on to 13 Division as a newly promoted road sergeant. She's worked in strategy management, social media, alarm coordinating, uh, talent acquisition and recruiting, and she's done 10 years at the corporate communications level where she's been involved with um, significant events, including the Sunrise Explosion, we all remember that one, g 20 Brian and I certainly remember that one, the Danzig Shooting, and the Yonge Street Building Collapse. So welcome, Wendy. We're so happy to have you on the show. It's good to have someone else to talk to besides Brian, because he does get a little boring sometimes. Brian? I
1: hear you very much Uh, for inviting me on your show.
0: We're going to get right into it. We're keeping these podcasts tight and uh, on the agenda. So let's get into this whole discussion on public safety, Wendy. Really start off, uh, I would like to start off with an an idea as to what you, certainly in the the policing service, consider the public space? Like when we talk about public safety, what are you really talking about?
1: well it's very simple uh public is everybody in that space and safety is keeping them safe from uh from harm um and in order to do that there's a number of things that that have to come into play and i think uh i think you had mentioned it it, it is everybody's responsibility um police are there as an oversight as a uh organization uh that have skills and the tools um and the authority to enact when whens Somebody's safety or um, a community's safety is at risk, um, but it's it's everybody's responsibility. Um, and this year's Crime Prevention Week uh, theme, "Safer, Stronger Together," strengthens and emphasizes uh, the importance of of everybody having a public safety.
0: So, when you refer to public safety, and yeah, you know, I, obviously we agree that everyone has a role in that. But I'm curious, do you break down? What you consider public safety into certain groups? Like, is there public uh, in terms of, like, like, are we talking businesses versus the average citizen, schools? Like, is it broken up into those types of segments, or are you just going to consider everyone part of the public realm?
1: Well, yeah, no, everybody is part of the public public realm uh, when it comes to public safety. I think um, perhaps when you you think of crime and safety in terms of crime prevention, um, then we start to really branch off and and find some um, specialties, uh, areas of concern, areas of issue, things that are are going to be relevant to one segment of the population as opposed to the other being commercial, business, residential, um, social issues. So there's a whole bunch of of things that come into play uh, when you're talking about public safety um, and crime prevention being a major one.
2: Wendy, when uh, talking about uh, participation, engagement with the community, over the 300 years that you've been in policing, 20 years, I didn't realize it was that long. Have you seen a difference? Do you find that the community and the public are more engaged today or less? Because if you... Uh, just re- look at what's on TV. It almost seems like there's this great divide between us and them, if you will. What are your thoughts? What have you seen?
1: Yeah, it's it's funny that you mentioned that because I think what, what the public sees is what is portrayed in the media. Working here at Community Partnerships, some of the different units that we have here are the liaison officers. We've got our neighborhood officer program, um, the uh, youth initiative, our auxiliary program. And all of these programs work on a daily basis with organization, non-organizations within the community, non-for-profit agencies. The amount of work that goes on and the good things that go on to help, you know, uh, people. Mm-hmm. Whether it be in crime prevention or just, you know, in, in general, it's not seen. Um, so from in my role and and my ability to be exposed to both sides, I think things have gotten better. Um, I think that the relationship that the police have with the community has strengthened. Uh, I think that the police services, uh, not only Toronto, but all have really um, listened to the public and are continuing to outreach uh, town hall meetings, um, the CPLC, so you know community members joining and being part of the Toronto Police Service and being a voice for their community uh, for them telling us what 's happening in their communities what 's a concern to them, uh, things that might not be a, a, a major crime indicator happening in their community, but it 's a nuisance to them, and it it bothered the people that lived there, so that 's crime prevention, the perception of crime. A conception uh, and perception of how safe they feel in their community. I mean, but those people that live there, it's an issue. So, you know, being able to have that community with us and then us being able, us being complete, able to hand in hand with the community, the businesses, um, the organizations to fix or resolve or, or find solution um, has increased dramatically uh, in that I've seen in my 28 years
2: you know it's interesting you sort of i think refer to perception it may not be a major crime indicator but it's important to whoever that partner is or that constituent is and we just or i just uh, finished with the client uh, uh, a government entity and one of the things we explained to them is although the data may not suggest a problem the users of the facility believe they feel unsafe and that perception is a reality. And it's nice to hear that the police are not just looking at the data, but you're sort of interacting with different community partners. What do you think? You know, And then you could see a certain alignment with the data and the reality or the perception. And if not, I, I assume you just dig deeper. The, the other thing I just wanted to talk about, I want to echo something you said <clears throat> about uh, the uh, partnerships. Uh, in my last life, when I worked downtown, and Luke was there also, when we started uh, that journey probably about 20 years ago, there was uh, not a lot of formal relationships with the police and the security community. But over time, we developed that. We developed some really good partnerships. and so it was really meaningful both ways. It was really meaningful to us in the private sector to really have an understanding of what was happening around us and being able to influence the police in terms of what priorities might uh, they might want to consider. And conversely, our police partners would tell us that it was very meaningful to them because they got a lot of stuff and information that they wouldn't have otherwise had. And the lesson I learned, and I think Luke and I talked about this just last week on the, the last podcast, was that a lot of people just feel that, you know, the police are over here, we really can't bother them. And, we're, you know, if we call them and say, let's work together, they're not going to talk with us. But I think you're living proof of that that the police really want to work with members of the community in all sorts of non-traditional ways.
1: Absolutely. I, I mean, our common goal is public safety, um, safety and security. And without working together, um, you know, we, we're duplicating jobs, and, and I think we've come to realize that. We, we need to work smarter. Um, we need to pool our resources. Uh, we need to share information, um, and we need to um, train. Train people, whether it you know education. If you consider that training, um, bringing them in and actually doing the training to uh, make our partners, community partners, uh, whether that be security, um, you know, uh, other like working with the alarm companies. uh, That was one of my other jobs as Alarm Court, and working with organizations like Canasa, and and having that partnership because. Clearly, we can't be everywhere. Um, so many other eyes and ears on the street. Um, there's so many other partners that are, again, the same goal, protecting public uh, public property, uh, personal safety. So why would we not work together? Um, so those partnerships have definitely strengthened. Um, I mean, it just goes to show this morning I had a phone call, an uh, uh, introductory phone call, and, and going to be doing some work together with Uber. Um, so how many uber drivers are out in the street um you know potentially uh providing providing information about human trafficking providing Mm -hmm. you know about uh carjacking providing information about uh if they happen to come across uh, an incident that's happening you know right then and there um so that there's that partnership who would have ever thought that there some people may not even see the connection Mm -hmm. but they're opportunity there that um, that we have to explore and that we are exploring. Um, the people are the police and the police are the people.
2: I heard that somewhere.
1: Heard it too. <laughs> yeah, I heard
2: that somewhere. You know, not even... Go on, Luca, sorry. Otherwise, Brian will hog all the earth time, So I,
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I have it. a question. Um, going back to the initial comment you made on this, The police are, the police are, and the police have done a lot of work to try and build those relationships and overcome a lot of things that the media, quite frankly, was way offside in in, in directing or saying. But I'm curious to see your your perspective on on the other side of that equation. Is the private sector changing? Do you see a positive movement on there? Like you've talked about Uber, great example, and there's other examples out there of, of great community partnerships where the private sector has stepped up. But I still think that they're often the exception rather than the rule. And certainly in my experience with most of the uh, private sector, uh, you know, property managers and, and, and um, stakeholders that I've dealt with, there's still this, this misconception out there that, you know, I'm just going to call 911 anyway when I need them and everything will be taken care of. Is that still largely out there? Is that still a problem that you're trying to overcome? Or is the private sector, in your you view know, or your, your, your experience, starting to realize that, hey, we got to take care of ourselves and we have to own some of that?
1: um yeah i think it is a, a a bit of of both i think it's a bit of both we're definitely seeing a greater relationship a greater outreach um greater partnership our crime prevention week was held at canadian tire in right in the community and and that was you know in, in doing a launch uh for crime prevention week you know we, we think about who are we trying to reach who is affected um private businesses are affected by crime just as much. So there's, you know, there's in-store theft, there's in-store robbery, uh, just at the border. Um, so for us, you know, reaching out to a community partner, to a corporate business and, and saying, you know, what do you think, can we come, would you open your doors, and let us in to your store to, you know, host this event. Uh, and we were, you know, welcomed with, with open arms. Um, and, you know, would do do anything for us, anything that we wanted, you know, clear the space. Um, so those partnerships are happening. Uh, we see the importance of having those corporate partnerships um, and, and that um, support. Because when things happen to them and their stores and we're coming in to investigate, you know, um, it's a familiar face. It's a, it's a familiar neighborhood officer, uh, that, that continues to go by and visit and build those relationships. So, you know, if there's an investigation on way, we have that partnership, we know who to call. Um, so definitely seeing an increase, definitely seeing an increase. Um, and it, it's, you know, it, it's the, the age of we need to, to do something. We need to take action. So a lot of corporations are uh, looking looking and seeing what specifically they can do. Um, if it's not even on the enforcement side, it's on the prevention side. Um, and, I mean, that's one of my, my key elements is in the crime prevention. Uh, and there's so many things that, that can be done. Well, Wendy, let me ask you a
2: question about crime prevention, because I know as a consultant, when I deal with uh, clients, often they want to understand the return on investment. For example, how do I know if I do this, that, or the other? It's having a meaningful uh, uh, effect. How do you guys in the service uh, able to validate your crime prevention efforts? I mean, I mean, you're looking, I'm sure, at all sorts of data. You're looking at crime rates in neighborhoods, things of that nature. But is there anything special that you look at that maybe the private sector could look at to evaluate the effectiveness? Or is it just the level of engagement? I guess that'd be a good metric. More people are engaged in talking.
1: And, and that's a of our discussion, quite often when when we're looking at crime prevention and, and talking about um, things that we can implement, how are we going to measure it? What are our matrix? What are our analytics? Um, everything, a, a lot of things are driven based on data um, yeah. and our statistics that we're that we're gathering. So clearly, is is a decline in or a reduction in? Um, criminal, especially the major crime indicators, is that indicative of good crime prevention. Definitely it's one one of those things. Um, but you, as we mentioned before, you can have crime go down in the neighborhood, the neighbors still not, and, and people that live there, work there, still not feel safe. So some of the things that are working, the engagement, reporting actually may go up. If the relationship between yeah. the community um, and the police increases, there's going to be an increase in communication. Increase of communication means uh, information sharing, could be, uh, lead to uh, an increase in actually reporting of crimes. So you may have an area where your reported crimes are on the increase. Does that mean it's um, had an increased crime? It essentially means that that engagement has increased therefore the community feels safer and coming to us reporting and we're able to enact and put things in place um things like returning to the playground uh in an area where where um crime was perhaps rampant and, and the community feels safe and having their kids in the playground now we've got kids back in the playground we've got you know flowers being planted we've got an enhanced uh Curb appeal happening, more people walking at at all times of the, of the hours. So there's a there's quite a few things that that can be looked at um, that would be a, a, a gauge of positive impact aside from a decline in crime rate.
2: Actually, you said something that got my attention. I suspect Luke's also about the curb appeal and the parks and the plants and everything. And I think you're referring to septed. Uh, you know, I'm a big proponent of septed, and I really think it does make a real, meaningful difference in the short run, short term, and the long term. It makes people feel better, you know. And, and, and if something looks nice, you take pride of ownership and all those good septed principles. In the city of Toronto, is septed uh, uh, owned by any particular entity? Is it the city that owns it? Is it planning that owns it? Is it police department that owns it? Who, who's the champion, if there is one?
1: I mean septed is a is a concept and it's something that um that the Toronto police um advocate. Uh we have our auxiliary members who are trained. Uh CEPTED, um um
2: Level it, one or, or yeah.
1: Yeah, enabled to go to go out there and, and conduct audits. Um, our our neighborhood officers, uh, our crime prevention officers, uh, we go out to not just like homes, we go out to businesses, hospitals, um, religious facilities. Uh, we go out to a number of different locations, uh, including residential homes, um, and and providing that information, giving them things to think about, and it's definitely something that. Is an integral part of crime prevention, um, and it, yeah, I, there's not one person that owns it, but it, it's a theory, it's a concept that is really wide, widely spread and, and accepted.
2: We uh, I, we just completed a big project of a residential portfolio, and some of the uh, locations were sort of high crime locations, not just the neighborhood, but the properties themselves and others were really really nice, and you know a, a common thing theme that we saw that was so obvious. The ones that looked nice were nice the ones that had nice gardens and didn't have debris and garbage around had low crime rates and had high perceptions of safety and the ones that just looked in disrepair almost uh, uh, without exception had higher crime disorder rates and when you would query the tenants that lived there they had fear factors or perception of their safety was very very poor even uh, more important than the actual data of the crime disorder occurring. So uh, I really think it's a really important crime prevention tool. And the nice thing that I believe about SEPTED is it's not really expensive. It's really just tweaking what's already out there.
1: I, yeah. Um, and in and, and giving crime prevention tips, you know, it doesn't have to be expensive. Uh, a light bulb, you know, having lighting, um, keeping the hedges trimmed, keeping lawn cut, picking up garbage, mm-hmm. not the like ale, uh, you know, on the, the doorstop, st- um, there's a lot of things that aren't or that don't come with a big price tag um, that can have a huge impact.
2: Well, Luke the other day was telling me he was just complaining about the amount of crime that's occurring on a street. And I said, Luke, just, you know, clean up the yard, cut the grass, you know, paint the house. It looks like heck. So you know, really, Luke, I, I think today's session, today's episode, really is going to help you personally in your own life oh. so, and lower your insurance rates potentially.
0: Unfortunately, my city's been in the news for the wrong reasons a lot in the last few weeks. Um, hearing that uh, that accepted, uh, idea and expanding it just a little, Wendy. Um, when it comes to, I mean, it's city uh, Toronto is huge, as we all know. It's a massive city um, with lots with all the issues that that uh, that entails. What types of technologies are you looking at in public safety to help you sort of gather up that data and maybe leverage it to communicate out to your stakeholders, to the public? Uh, how is that changing? Because in the past, I mean, all you really had was the media, right? You'd do a press release and hope that everyone was watching the news at six o'clock. But today, you've got a whole fleet or a suite of tools available to you. How are you? How's the Toronto Police Service leveraging that? Yeah,
1: um, we've definitely come. Um, far with our use of technology and um, our analytics and innovation. So if anybody has been on the Toronto Police website, there's a portal um, and lots of data in there, um, you know, talks about um, and and doesn't talk about, but it it allows us to be more transparent as well with things that are happening. And it also provides a, a better understanding uh, for the community at large as to what's happening within their city. Um, so there's definitely that knowledge is power. Um, social media is, is- you know, really transformed uh, us when I was in, in communications. So, you know, so we're talking 12, 13, 14 years ago, uh, social media was just making an appearance. Um, and myself and, and uh, Scott Mills, Tim Burrows, there was quite a few of us down in corporate communications that branched out and started using it. And, you know, in the early, early days, noticed how many people um, wanted that communication, wanted that information. As you know, it's grown. Um, we do um, notifications um, in, in wanting to make people alert to what's happening uh, for a couple of reasons. One, for their personal safety, but also two, again, the public is the eyes and ears out there. There are information. Um, they provide us with what we need. So um, getting that out there uh, is definitely um, has, has been a huge increase. Um, it allows us to tell our story. Allows us to put out what we want when we want, timely manner, timely efficient. Um, and we've definitely seen seen returns uh, returns on that.
2: Uh, you know, I must say that uh, it is very impressive how you guys have leveraged uh, social media. And I know, Wendy, you and talk about Scott Tim Burrows, and others were the pioneers. And I think uh, uh, the way you look at it, uh, it's used today versus its inception. I don't think anyone could have seen how important a tool it would become but i do have a bone to pick with you in that you talked about the website and you have all your data up there and full disclosure and that really irks me as a consultant because before you did that i could have charged a lot of money to a client to get them that crime data and now my kids go hungry because i can no longer do that business because you do it better and quicker than i could have ever so we're still friends but i thought i'd say that
1: i'd like to apologize but you know what the public the public
2: needs us. I thought we were friends, but the public comes first. I get it. Okay.
1: Uh,
0: I got two more questions I want to touch on before, uh, before moving on, and that I want to get in before, before the session. The next one is a little, uh, and it's not meant to be uh, exploratory in, in a negative way, but we've talked about the technology. We've talked about the complexity of the public sector and how that's changed and, and continues to change. And so I'm just curious, you know, how... Is the police service trying to adapt for that policing model of tomorrow? Um, sure, you're gonna say training, and all that kind of stuff, but are there new areas that are emerging? Is really what I'm asking that weren't in the in, in in sort of your tool belt in the past. What comes to mind really off the top would be probably like drone technology. Is that something that's of interest? Do you have now drone pilots out there or sim or cybersecurity be, would be another one that you know wouldn't have been in the police service's mandate 10 years ago?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you've touched it, you touched on several of them um technology the advances um have changed everything uh auto theft uh you know w- with being remote uh parts change the way people steal cars yeah. police um you're right bitcoin and, and currency um the toronto we had in, uh november no, october uh the fraud prevention and and we one of the biggest things big things was uh, bitcoin fraud uh, yeah and and the challenges that go along with that um and it's the the challenges of being able to trace where that money is gone um but we're you know you have to keep up you have to keep up you have to look forward um and we are our uh our cyber crime unit uh works um works with our fraud department uh we are without giving anything away looking apologies and and we are um, becoming and, and our leaders in getting that technology and software that is allowing us to, you know, search deeper and darker into where this currency is and, and where it's going, who took it, all that kind of, you know, uh, I security. Guess, I guess you it's know?
0: like you, you used to be in recruiting, so I guess it would be fair to say also that that profile that you've been looking for is certainly changed. In the past, it would have been, you know, perhaps... Like someone who can take care of business on the street, for lack of a better word. And now you're really looking at people who understand, you know, computers, who understand technology versus how to deal with people directly.
1: This is like no other. It really is. Under one umbrella, you have uh, a multi layers of skills and abilities, um, and things that that you may not even think of. So you're you're right. When we're looking at uh, our recruiting and people that coming coming in, people it's changed. That has changed as well. And we talk about modernized policing. Um, they're coming now instead of coming out of high school or university. They're coming out of you know a couple of years within a, a, a field of of expertise. We look at that and. and it is definitely something. Uh, lived experience and skills and abilities are are really um, what make our, the, the hiring uh, a benefit to the service.
2: Now, I have a lot of lived experience. Am I too old? Don't answer.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think the tablet and stone went out a while ago.
2: <laughs> Thank you. That's why I like listening to Wendy and not you. <laughs>
1: 18 there is no ceiling
2: actually just out of curiosity uh, who what age uh would be the oldest person that you've seen go through the uh, or get hired in recent years
1: um so me personally i've seen somebody in their 50s well wow. uh, so you know i'm sure there's other ranges out there but um that would be for my personal experience yeah
2: yeah yeah, I, I know that uh, I think forward-thinking organizations have got rid of that cap on the top, because you're right, you know, they're, you know physical fitness youth is an important part of policing, but also wisdom. And I think people, a lot of people don't realize it's not just muscles. There's a lot more to it than what you perceive or what you see on TV.
1: Absolutely. Uh, yeah, we, we aim to de-escalate, you know, at that zero harm that comes with something with experience. With empathy uh it comes with problem solving mm-hmm. uh and lived experiences what what enables somebody to have those traits yeah
2: yeah
0: so that's a good opportunity to segue into my final point <laughs> and just a reminder that you know even the work uh the career is changing right like people get two three careers down a lifetime and we're living older so 50 ain't all that old anymore brian is old regardless but the rest of us can still have a career at that age. That's one of the challenges to preparing for the world of tomorrow and then what public safety means uh, going forward. What are some of the other challenges that you see to success, Wendy, in terms of creating that public service model that we're, that we're striving for, that interconnectivity? You know, we've talked about technology. We've talked about some of the recruiting, uh, the changes of the type of people you're looking for to fill those gaps. What are some of the challenges that are out there that you see um, could, could affect the success of, of the program
1: um well i mean technology definitely keeping up so it's always that you know having to be a step at step ahead um financially you know uh the the budget is always something that that plays a role um in order to do the training to do the research to do the hiring um That's definitely out there. Some of the challenges that are happening with society, um, mental health is definitely, definitely a big one. Um, And and being able to to work things out with our community partners and really, you know, um, identifying what service is best needed for um, a particular incident or series of instances, uh, look at and work with our, you know, again, partners um, to, to, work together to, to identify where, where our services are needed, what services are, are best delivered by whom, um, and ensuring that, that those services are available when they're needed.
2: Well, Brian's paused again. It's amazing.
0: Twice in one show. I yeah. would
2: You had warned <laughs> me before we started that I had to keep it tight, so
0: I, I would only inject into those challenges. Because I, I appreciate the fact that you're speaking from the police side and, and you know, the, all the sensitivities that have to be there. But I, I would definitely call out the private sector as well as a challenge. They need to understand that you guys can't do it alone, um, that they need to be involved. They can't just wait and expect you to show up on their doorstep when things go bad. Um, and that means getting involved. I can't tell you the amount of times I get out to properties nowadays in my, in my, you know, in my full-time job. Um, I still interact a lot with property management. And the amount of times I I ask them, well, you know, are you dealing with the local police division? And their eyes blaze over, like, what do you mean, we can do that? Absolutely. They've got liaison officers committed to this type of of, of working relationship. They've got crew teams out there, you know, core teams, whatever whatever resources that are out there. And for some reason, a lot of the private sector still doesn't appreciate the fact that they're out there, that they're available. Um, And it really is an under, it undersells the value that Toronto Police is bringing to to the city because they've gone through a lot of effort to put these resources out there um, and people just aren't aware or aren't utilizing them as much. So I think that that's one of the challenges we need to overcome is to get the messaging to the private sector more efficiently, more effectively. I don't know how that's going to happen, but it needs to happen so that you guys get the support that you need. Right, it
1: takes the right person Well, um, You know, that information is out there. It it takes a leader to um, step up and uh, to to make those calls and and recognize that, you know, that they can be a part of the solution um, as well. You
2: know, I, I think it's just easier to blame others than to take ownership, And as you say, when you be part of the solution. Too many people just don't take the time to understand and get engaged and they just say, you know, we'll call 911 or the police should have done better or the police aren't trained. But, you know, I, I've got to give it to Canadian policing and especially the Toronto police, that you guys really are forward-thinking and the things that you're doing, you know, that you offer the community, that didn't exist, you're, you know, even five years ago and 10 years ago, certainly didn't exist when I started down this journey a million years ago. So kudos to the Toronto Police. I just uh, uh, wish that more people would appreciate how fortunate we are in this country and in this city to have the type of police that we have.
1: I guess maybe because it's not in the media, it's not out in the forefront, um, but... Quite often, you know, we'll be out and people will thank us uh, at the Crime Prevention Week. As I said, we're out in the community, out at Canadian Tire, right on their store floor. Um, and if I could count how many times people came up to thank us for for what we do, um, it, you know, it, it's it's nice because we don't you know hear it globally a lot. On mm-hmm. um, a one to one, I think we're I think we're doing okay.
2: Well, yeah, you know, I'm glad you. I'm glad to hear that because I know it's a hard job, and I know that uh, if it bleeds, it leads. So when people say thank you or say the police officer did a great job or helped me with this problem, that typically doesn't lead the news. It's all the times that things maybe don't work out the way we want them to work out or mistakes have it leads the news, and that sort of drives the narrative. So it's nice to know that. That silent majority maybe is not as silent as they used to be.
0: All right. So I think we're going to move on to closing comments, given our time. And, uh, you know, for me, I would say uh, thank you, Wendy. It's been a real pleasure speaking with you. I think you've been uh, certainly forthright, honest, and and great content in terms of understanding where the police service is going. Um, I will echo Brian's comments that, in my experience, okay, I'm a former police officer too, so I'm a little biased. But... I would still say that every police service that I've uh, had the pleasure of interacting with, not just Toronto, but I will speak about Peel, you know, New York, Durham, I haven't had too many interactions with, but certainly Vancouver. when I traveled a lot, Calgary, Toronto, the Canadian policing environment is not the American policing environment. And I think that that's often overlooked, certainly by the press and the media and just focused on the American garbage that goes on to the South of us. But, uh, you know, you guys are doing a great job. I, I sincerely believe that you, You've been unfairly um, and seriously mistreated on some, on some issues, um, but you've overcome that. And, and you've accepted uh, faults and you've gone to fix them with special units, special training, all these kinds of things. So you don't fear uh, change. Um, and I think that that's commendable. Um, and you're on the forefront, the Brian's word, the Brian's comments, at the forefront of where police needs to go. So with that, I'm going to say thank you for being on the show. And uh, turn it over to Brian, and then uh, Wendy for his final thoughts.
2: Just want to say thanks, Wendy. You've been a great friend and a great collaborator over the years. Uh, you are a great ambassador, to Toronto Police, and you really live the uh, spirit of partnerships and engagement. I know that uh, I met you again when I was downtown in the financial district, and uh, uh, the amount of sharing and openness and and, and, and transparency was just uh, such a breath of fresh air. And um, uh, keep up the good work. You and your colleagues are doing great stuff. I'm a big fan.
1: Thank you. Really appreciate it. All right, folks, that wraps it up. We will come to you
0: live. Well, not live, but uh, edited. With episode five on January first, that'll be our New Year's edition, Brian. So I hope you're going to wear. Wendy's our have. New Year's baby. New Year's baby. Okay. Better have your heels on, and uh, we're good to go. <laughs> <laughs> so with that, thanks everybody for listening. Don't forget to like our podcast. Uh, we appreciate it. We, it helps us with our algorithm, as they like to say. And uh, until next time, take care. Stay safe.
2: Bye, everyone. Thank you
0: that concludes this podcast. We hope you enjoyed listening and will join us in a couple of weeks for our latest episode. Please remember to like and follow us on our sponsor's webpage, brianclayman.com, where you can leave us your comments and suggest topics you'd like to hear about in future episodes. Until next time, thanks for listening and don't forget to protect your assets.